0: The House of Roll journeys far and wide to bring you exceptional quality kitchen and bath fixtures. In all of this, you'll see the details of your own story. The story of a life well-crafted. Welcome to the House of Roll. The promise of America is being squandered. How are we going to restore our nation back to a sensible, citizen-centric government? It's time for populism with a purpose. Welcome to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. Joyce is a businesswoman, not a politician, and she's here to offer pragmatic, possible, and post-partisan solutions for the 21st century. Now, your host for Reimagine America, Joyce Cordy.
1: Welcome to the Reimagine America Radio Hour. There are plenty of people out there trying to inflame your passions. My purpose is different. I've come to inform you to give you information that will enable you to make an independent judgment on current events and to encourage you to act on your judgment. As a businesswoman, I focus on the numbers. The numbers tell me what's out of norm, what needs attention, and then how to prioritize the necessary changes. And when it comes to our health care, wow, wow. Are there a lot of numbers? The total cost of health care in the United States is twice that of any other nation. We spend collectively approximately $3 trillion a year. It's trillion with a T on health care in the United States. And about a third of the $3 trillion, just a coincidence, Federal budget goes to Medicaid and Medicare spending. The average American is going to spend about ten thousand dollars a year on on health care. If you if you average that out across the three trillion dollars that cost across three hundred and thirty million Americans, interestingly, over the last few decades. The costs of health care have shifted away from the payor, the, the payor and to the payee. So Stephen Brill, in his brilliant new book, Tailspin, says the cost of health care to the average middle-class American family in the last 30 years has increased 436%. Let me say that one more time. The cost of health care, your share of health care, has increased 436% over the last three decades. That's not sustainable. And if you think that means we've got the best care in the world, you're wrong. And with us today is Dr. Robert Pearl, the author of Mistreated, Why You Think You're Getting Good Health Care and Why You're Usually Wrong. The doctor and I've had two previous conversations. In April, we talked about the symptoms of our ailing health care. And in June, we diagnosed the problems. So the doctor joins us again this morning to talk about the future of health care in America. How do we make sure we're getting world-class care that we think we we are getting but aren't? And how do we get it? at a cost that is sustainable. Dr. Pearl is the former CEO of the Permanente Medical Group, the nation's largest medical group, and the former president of the Midwest Atlantic Permanente Permanente Group. And in those roles, he's led 10,000 physicians, 38,000 staff, and was responsible for the nationally recognized medical care of 5 million Kaiser Permanente members on the West and East Coast. He's been named as one of modern healthcare's 50 most influential physician leaders, and he's an advocate for the power of integrated, prepaid, technically advanced, and physician led healthcare delivery. In 2017, he authored Mistreated Why We Think We're Getting Good Healthcare and Why We're Usually Wrong, a Washington Post bestseller that offers a roadmap for transforming American healthcare. All proceeds from the book benefit Doctors Without Borders. And while while we're gonna urge you to go to Amazon and buy yourself a copy of the book because the proceeds go to Doctors Without Borders, we're gonna give you kind of an overview this morning of how we can move forward. And so, Dr. Pearl, thank you so much for taking time out of your Sunday to spend some time with us.
2: Good morning, Joyce. It's a pleasure to talk with you once again.
1: Well, pleasure's all ours. So why don't we dig right in? In April, we did a high-level diagnosis of why American health care is failing by every measure. Who gets to make the decisions, where treatment is given, why, and the powerful p- legacy players. So I think maybe a quick review of that diagnosis is a good place to begin today, don't you? <clears throat>
2: Certainly. The American healthcare care system resembles a 19th century cottage industry. It's fragmented with physicians scattered across the community, hospitals scattered, redundant hospitals in many communities. It's paid on a piecemeal basis. Physicians are paid not for outcomes, But simply for volume. The more they do, the more they earn. The more hospitals do, the more they earn. We would never do that if we were rebuilding our kitchen, remodeling our kitchen, but that's the American healthcare approach. Technology is left over from the last century. We're almost in 2020, and yet the most common way physicians communicate, a fact machine. The students I teach in the Stanford Graduate School of Business have never seen a fax machine, and yet that is the technology that underlies so much of medical information. And finally, the whole system is really leaderless. There's no one organizing, connecting, bringing people together. And as a result, as you pointed out, of the 11 industrialized nations in the world, the United States ranks dead last, last in life expectancy, Second to last in childhood mortality, our costs are out of control, and the basic things we could do, prevention, avoidance of medical error, better management of chronic disease we don't do, and hundreds of thousands of people die every single year, and we are not any better now than we were two decades ago. When the IHI noted the quality chasm, the deficiencies that are there, if these were planes crashing out of the sky, we would have acted a long time ago. But we still tell ourselves, as you pointed out, that we're the best in the world. And the only error you made in your numbers is we now spend 3.4 trillion, as you said with a T, dollars on health care every year, which is why it is now more than ten thousand dollars per person in the United States today.
1: Wow, that that's a recent number. Uh, <clears throat> so the number is growing. The number of insured is shrinking. Why don't we talk about the biggest number up front? The fact that health care providers spend more money lobbying Congress to protect their legacy interests than any other segment of American life. You know, they spend uh, more than 10 times the combined spending of the energy industry. Well,
2: you're absolutely right. The pharmaceutical industry is actually who's leading the process. And this is actually an important time because the health and human service organization is contemplating changing some of the rules to make them the way they would be in business. Try to think of another business where you have a service that you have to have. You have a disease, you need a drug. And you're allowing a sole source manufacturer to price wherever he or she chooses. There's no question. That's why it is now rising faster than the entire uh, area of healthcare, Double digits. And only occasionally when the CEOs get caught with their fingers in the cookie jar do they back off. And right now they're a little scared, Joyce, by the way, because the president at least has talked about that. And in a recent Forbes piece I wrote, I spoke about the fact this is a time for courage so that the pharmaceutical industry once again serves the needs of patients rather than simply its shareholders.
1: And we are going to hold that thought and go to break. And when we come back, we're going to talk just for about one minute about the impact of the Affordable Care Act. And we're going to dig into tomorrow's health care.
0: For more information on today's topic, visit reimagineamerica.org, reimagineamerica.org. Now, back to Reimagine America on 860 AM, The Answer.
1: And we're back with Dr. Robert Pearl, the author of Mistreated. And as we went to break, we were talking about the impact of um, the, um, shall we say, the health care uh, lobby, uh, lobbying industry because it is an industry in and of itself, and and doctor, it's quite clear as we look back that the that the lobbyists had a whole lot to do with writing what we call Obamacare or formally the Affordable Care Act, and while both of us would agree that. President Obama's intent was to be a to make the law a catalyst for change, it's had some good and some bad things about it. Um, it will be contested again in the November election. Um, and I thought maybe it'd be a good thing as we turn our attention for the rest of the hour toward how do we get better to say, okay, this is where we are um, with the Affordable Care Act, with what it wanted to do, um, where it is, and maybe even some quick fixes to it.
2: So You're right. There was positive and downsides to the legislation that was passed. On the positive side, it did expand coverage. The un- the uninsured rate prior to that was actually 1 in 6 Americans, almost 17%, and it reduced that in half, although, as you noted in your introduction, that number is slowly going back up. Uh, due to the elimination of the individual mandate and some other aspects of recent legislative change. The downside is it didn't do much to control cost. And as you pointed out, this is the key challenge facing our country right now. Half of the people surveyed in a recent poll that I read said that if they incurred a major medical bill, They would either have to sell a significant piece of property, their house, their car, or they would face bankruptcy. And this is just not a sustainable position for our country uh, to be in. And something needs to get done to make that shift. Now, what's fascinating to me, Joyce, as you're pointing out, is that the political spectrum, I believe, is now wider than it's ever been On both the Democratic and Republican side, you're seeing on the Democratic side, not only uh, traditional centrist candidates, but continually more liberal individuals, and the Republican side, again, centrist candidates, but increasingly conservative ones, and we could come out of this midterm election almost anywhere on the healthcare world from a minimal government intervention on one side, Two, a single-payer, government-run program on the other, and these two extremes could not be farther apart, and yet that's the issue. The number one issue, by the way, in the upcoming election is health care in every poll that I've seen, including one that I did on my homepage, robertperlmz.com.
1: And what did you what did you find? Uh, you're, you're right. I haven't seen a single poll that does not make health care the number one issue. And, and because, as the title of your book says, many of us are not aware we're not getting world-class treatment. I think the frustration is um, in terms of that 436% increase in what it costs the user of the system compared to what they, the similar care they got you know 30 years ago um and and if we look at it from from that aspect then you can really understand um the attraction of uh repeal and replace on the far right especially in 2016 when then candidate trump said oh well we'll give you something brand new and it'll be cheaper it's the price it's what it's you know if if and and the the democrats on the other hand say okay we can go as far as single payer now of course we have no idea how we would pay for that and by the way folks and and doctor you can disagree with me if you do um my sense is in california where there's going to be a a candidate who is going to run for the gov- who is running for governor on the platform of medicare for all That if we got to a single-payer, a government-run single-payer, can you imagine in California where you have to stand in line for four hours at the DMV, that that same state government would run your health care? That would not be Medicare. That would be Medicaid as it is in Appalachia. Would you agree or disagree?
2: I don't disagree with you, and it'd be great to talk some more. I think we're planning on it. Yeah. Speaking this morning more at the single payer. In response to the question on, that, uh, on my website, robertpearlmd.com, I have all the data that's there. But the number one issue is healthcare. The number two issue is the economy. It's what every survey has done. The American people are stealing it in their pocketbooks. And, you know, you're a businesswoman, Joyce. Mm-hmm. The cost of a business that you run is two things, only two things. How much you buy and how much you pay? Yes. So if you're manufacturing, how much raw materials do you buy and how much do you pay for the raw materials? and How much do you pay for the labor to produce it? It's and how not much that complex?
1: It's not and yet. Well, we've seen. In well, there's healthcare.
2: One, it, oh, sorry, there's two one. things. Number one, yeah. the service <coughs> system simply drives up the volume, so mm-hmm. we're seeing higher and higher and higher utilization. As again, I said, you might see if you were remodeling your kitchen. And number two, what we've seen is a ch- continued increase in the price. Now, you're a businesswoman. Your revenue is somewhat fixed. Your costs are rising faster than you can afford. That's the American health care system. Costs are rising faster than GDP. What are you going to do? You've got to find someone else to pay the difference. And in this case, it's the patient. So what business is doing is saying, okay, we can afford half of the increase. And now the worker will have to pay The employer will have to pay the other half. And that is why it is rising so fast. And the mistake that people have gotten into around single payer is that Medicare has been able to ameliorate some of the costs. Why is that? Because the federal government is the only organization in the United States that is allowed to control price. And so it sets the price without negotiating. And what happens is the consequences that Medicare today covers only about 90% of its true costs. And therefore, the commercial sector is 120%. The majority of that being borne by the individual make it all single payer. You can't pay 90% because the amount of care you're going to get will not be adequate. You'll create a two-tier black market kind of system. And so the consequence will be government will be forced as you said to raise taxes to pay for it and that's the piece that no one's talking about and the estimates that i've seen in california are in the hundreds of millions of dollars
1: uh they're in billions yep i'm in, sorry yeah. yeah 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 there there are hundreds yeah that has been the 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 uh stumbling block and it's interesting i mean again Knowing how our, how our DMV works, and, and you've lived here enough of your life to know how our DMV works, would you want an SEIU, union-led bureaucracy to determine when and how you got your health care?
2: The bigger challenge that I see from the government level is it's going to wax and wane. And do I want my health care when the government has good revenues to be good and then when the revenues go down to be bad? Do I want it to be dependent upon who's elected, Democrats versus Republicans? I want to have consistent, excellent care every single year. And that's just not consistent with a political process, one that inevitably is going to be government politics uh, driving the process, as we've seen both in Washington and Sacramento.
1: I, I think you're absolutely right. There has to be a solution. Medicare is a great it- is a great model from for um a a segment of the American population but I don't think it's a be all do all and oh by the way if you are reasonably middle class and you add up your uh premiums under Medicare it is not significantly cheaper than private insurance in fact you have to carry private insurance for both long term care and uh the 20% of your um, of your costs after $5,000 that are not covered by Medicare. So um, the idea that Medicare is free uh, is, is a nice, is an interesting um, bit of fiction, uh, only, only believed by people under 40.
2: <clears throat> well, the Medicare and Medicaid were excellent advances covering those who are elderly, mm-hmm. covering those who are too poor. Now remember, when Medicare was first passed, Average life expectancy was 67 years. No one expected that Medicare would ever cost what it does. The system that was put in place, again, a fee-for-service kind of system, made sense at the time. There was not a whole lot that doctors could do, and therefore the costs of the government were going to be very reasonable. No one could foresee what is actually a good thing, the advances in science, but what they didn't see was the collateral consequences and according to a recent article that I saw in the New England Journal of Medicine, half of what we do in medicine, American medicine today, has either little or no value at all. And it has risk. And all of that, to me, says we've got to totally change the system of health care. And actually, Joyce, you've inspired me. I'm going to start a podcast next month called Fixing American Healthcare," looking at not how do we have small tweaks, not how do we tell ourselves the system's going to work and it's really not going to work, but how do we make the disruptive major changes that every other industry has gone through in the United States, healthcare needs to follow, it needs to be totally revamped from where it is now, and your show has really brought this to the front. People simply can't afford, our nation can't afford, the trajectory of growth in cost. That is happening, particularly as you pointed out, in the context of the, the American healthcare quality outcomes lagging. 37th amongst all the countries in the world at a time we spend twice as much. You're a businesswoman, Joyce. Your company would be bankrupt and out of existence if it matched the American healthcare system of you, today.
1: You're absolutely right. And I want you to hold that thought of disruption because that's where we're going to start. When we come back from commercial break.
0: For more information on today's topic, visit reimagineamerica.org. reimagineamerica.org. Now, back to Reimagine America on 860 AM, The Answer.
1: And we're back with Dr. Robert Pearl to talk about dis- the disruption that needs to happen to get us the American health care system we deserve. And one thought, and yes, I'm a businesswoman. Um, or I'm a consultant who helps businesses be profitable consistently because there are three elements. One is revenue, and that's the top line. And the bottom line is a reasonable rate of profit. And the thing that allows your revenue to remain reasonable and get you to that bottom line profitably, is how you manage margin. What Dr. Pearl was referring to as the cost of labor and supplies, et cetera. And it's that margin where you have to get your efficiencies. Um, And I have a little methodology called bottom line excellence that helps companies get there. But in the system of disruption, we have a big business play right now. And that is a consortium of Amazon, Berkshire Hathaway and J.P. Morgan, who've decided that the cost of insuring their about a million employees is uh, not affordable anymore, that that's a piece of their margin that they need to better control. And I wonder, Doctor, if you think that that kind of a consortium is going to be able to be a partner for people like yourself Um, in creating the disruption and the change that we need to have in order to have a 21st century medical system that we can afford?
2: I definitely think, Joyce, that this consortium is going to be very significant. I've actually written about it twice now, my Forbes blog. The most recent one, a piece on Atul Gawande, the appointed CEO, or or at least chairman of the board, um, got over 100,000 readers coming to it. And I think that this is really, you're absolutely correct. Some of this is about lowering their internal costs. But actually, I think this is going to be another massive business for them. I think the three CEOs are tremendous leaders who understand how much they don't know, which for CEOs can be difficult. And they're seeing this venture as the means to learn. That's why it's a not-for-profit. As you know, in the structure uh-huh. that it was created. But it won't say not for profit. Once they figure this out, and the healthcare system is complex, it, what they're going, I believe, is to create a business across the United States trying to attract tens of millions of other employees, particularly in self funded businesses, to now come aboard. If you think about it, Berkshire Hathaway owns Geico. Uh-huh. So they don't understand insurance, not necessarily medical insurance. Amazon is certainly the leading retailer out there, and their recent acquisition of a, pharma, of a small pharmaceutical company was fascinating to me, because what they did by purchasing it was not just a company, but licenses in all 50 states to sell medications. That's not an easy task to do. They're now positioned to take over a pharmaceutical world, and you have J.P. Morgan Chase that has the expertise around information technology systems. There's no way they're going to contract with every doctor in the community. There's no way they're going to contract with five hospitals in the same city. They're going to figure out how to apply those same business principles that you teach as a consultant into the healthcare world. Now, I do caution that it won't happen next year or the year after. This is going to take five years for them to learn what they need to do to acquire the other pieces. But I could see this consortium, I think it was ABC, Amazon, Berkshire, and Chase, as being the disruptive force of American health care, or as I've also written about, there are offshore people, an hour plane ride away, delivering higher quality, fewer complications at half of the price. Again, as a businesswoman, if you can buy a product that is better at half the price, even though it may be a little bit more difficult to organize and arrange, I can guarantee you as your margins get pressed, you're going to look there. Disruption is inevitable. Every inefficient industry in the United States gets disrupted. And anyone who wants to think of American health care as efficient, you and I could spend days educating them all the different <laughs> places that there's redundancy, that there's added cost. There's an in inefficiency we never would organize a business the way we run american healthcare it's just left over from long in the past and that's why i think of it as a 19th century cottage industry or probably more accurately left over from the united states in the 1960s
1: well i while i agree with you and i did read your blog um i uh, I I wonder how will how will this consortium overcome some of the political inertia and the state insurance? You know, one of the one of the arguments is that we should allow uh, people to buy insurance across state lines. And one of the issues that major in corporations like Amazon and Berkshire Hathaway and, and J.P. Uh, Morgan Chase experience is, when they have employees in multiple states, they have to deal with multiple insurers because, in order to to give the benefit that's in the employee handbook, because of the state licensing controls. Now, how would you, in the dis in the disruption of healthcare, um, and and you you can tell me if you, if I'm I may be way off base here, but I think there are two things that have three things that have to happen. We have to redefine so-called group insurance to spread the risk uh, through bigger pools. We have to um, move from fee-for-service to a more capitated model, uh, the Kaiser model as as an example of that. Um, And we have to break down some of these state barriers. I mean, would, would you agree or disagree as those being fundamental?
2: Sure. Well, I definitely agree with the first two. And I think the process of getting there is going to be through these self-funded companies. And for your listeners who may not know what we're talking about, uh, in a typical small company, you need to, as you said, pool the number of people, and to do that, you buy insurance through one of the name brands, United and Etna, uh, Cigna, etc.
1: Or Kaiser. At
2: some point, or Kaiser. <laughs> at some point, if you're a big company, and these are big companies. You can afford to take the risk yourself, and you actually come out financially ahead because you're not paying someone else to do that. It's like self-insurance rather than buying insurance from someone else. You've got to be big. You've got to have money. But These companies are big and have lots of money. I think what will happen and why they say, I see it as a two-phase process, is that they will pool the numbers by bringing in other companies that also are self-insured. And by the way, the rules on self-insurance are far more lax than the more general insurance ones because you're taking your own risk and therefore the
1: um, regulations are are less... Hold that thought about risk because we got to go to commercial.
0: For more information on today's topic, visit reimagineamerica.org, reimagineamerica.org. Now, back to Reimagine America on 860 AM, The Answer.
1: And we're back with Dr. Robert Pearl, and when we went to break, we were just about to talk about pooling and groups and sharing risk, and why it is easier for the big guys than the little guys to do that. And so
2: Let me finish with the other question you posed. The notion of whether you're in one state or across states is an insurance model. Really, the change that has to happen is in the delivery System. So by the nature of these large companies, they do go across states, and by the nature of being self-insured, they're able to pool that risk across states for themselves, and by bringing other companies in, be able to expand that and pull it over a greater area. So what they're going to do, essentially, is cut out the middleman. What do you need an insurance company for? What you need is someone to actually change the delivery system model to raise the quality to make it more technologically enabled, to make it easier to access, better service, everything that would happen in a truly competitive market world that is protected in healthcare from recurring. And that's going to be their biggest challenge and why it's going to take them five years, because they're going to have to figure out how to create delivery systems in each of the areas where they have their major hubs. And that's going to take them, as I say, a few years to figure out how many hospitals, how far apart, which physicians are the highest quality, and they are going to use data to do it, and they're going to have the ability now to negotiate over drug costs. And they're not going to be the passive vehicles that most insurance companies are today where they simply take the added cost and transfer it back to the payer, and now, as you pointed out, to the payee, the patient. Instead, they are actually going to drive it the same way that they do. In the rest of their business, Amazon just doesn't pass on the cost of a book to the uh, purchaser. They actually negotiate on behalf of that individual. And the same, as I said, for the other two companies that are going to be there. What you're going to see is a shift from the focus on insurance being The one area that we talk about that we spend so much time on to being care delivery, the right number of hospitals, with the right volume, with the right expertise, with the lowest complications rates, with the lowest need to redo things again and again, with the highest level of prevention. That is what these CEOs want to do. It is about money, but it's more importantly, I believe, about the health of their employees and then creating a business for the nation that allows them to do that for other similar companies. And once you've done it for all the big companies, it's not that hard then to bring in the smaller companies. More complex because of the smaller numbers of people and the variation in risk and risk adjustment. But they'll figure that out over time. If every large self insured business joined this consortium, you'd have tens of millions of people getting better health care, better technology, easier Better satisfaction at a significantly lower cost. That's where I believe these three CEOs are going.
1: Well, aren't they going to force even the big capitated models like Kaiser or Palo Alto Medical Foundation or Humana or Cleveland? Aren't they going to be forced to have to move more aggressively uh, toward these broad networks, et cetera?
2: Not so a broad network. They're, they're going to actually have a
1: high-performing
2: network, and those organizations that – can't do it can't meet those standards of superior quality even better than people providing today at a lower cost they're going to disappear
1: they're
0: going to disappear they're
2: going to be the borders they're going to be the borders of the united states they're going to be the yellow cabs of the united states the kodak's of the united states that could not keep up with the leaders today you can get by in american medicine by being okay or just good In the future you simply are going to have to be excellent and that's the story of disruption in every industry, the film industry, the taxi cab, t- uh, the transportation industry, the b- retail book industry, and increasingly the entire retail world of American business.
1: I think I think you're absolutely right. Um, and but there are going to be uh, there is going to be. Um, pain in that conversion. One of the things that you talk about in Mistreated in terms of the need for disruption is to rethink the concept of community hospitals that are not affordable and moving toward more centers of excellence. And do you think in, let's say, rural America, um, in the Midwest, in however you want to refer to it, flyover country, whatever, um, that there's going to be a lot of political resistance to those sorts of changes that are required, or will that... No be-
2: question. The, the, the resistance will be tremendous. But let me start with the beginning that many of your listeners may not understand. The, number, the two ways that you raise quality is through volume and specialization. You raise it in volume by both the individual doing, let's say, a surgery let's take hysterectomy, you raise it because the surgeon does enough every year that he or she has the ability, and they do it in a hospital that does enough to be able to uh, have skilled nurses with a high enough frequency that they develop the expertise required. Interestingly enough that when you start to consolidate volume in that way, of course, you get economies of scale. Again, something you teach as a business consultant that lowers the cost of doing it. That's how you raise quality and lower costs by having adequate volume. Half of the surgeons in the United States today doing hysterectomy do fewer than 10 a year. You can't be good if you're doing fewer than 10 a year. By the way, the same thing is true for total joints and a lot of other procedures. Uh, 30% of the hospitals doing cardiac surgery in Northern California do fewer than one case a day on average. How good can you be in that arena? So that's the notion of what has to happen. Now, what people think is, oh, my gosh, what's going to happen? There's not a hospital really close to my home. And the answer is what we've learned. The military is a a tremendous organization organization at being able to advance medicine. Many of the advances in American medicine, world medicine, have actually come out of the military area. And what they learned is rather than the old, in quotes, mash tents where they had doctors all over the battlefield, how you stabilize someone and transport them. Yes, if you stop breathing, you need to be resuscitated, but you don't need a hospital for that. You need a, I'll call it an urgent slash emergent center where you have skilled doctors and nurses who can accomplish that and then put you into a facility. You're much better off being 15 minutes away in a hospital with high volume and high expertise. A hospital that has in the hospital at night physicians 24 hours a day, seven days a week, you can't do that in a small facility. Now you're raising another point, which is a rural hospital. Rural hospitals in the United States have a lot of problems because the volume is simply so low. And I think that many of them are going to be better off actually, again, moving into this, what I'll call the hub. When I was the CEO in the Mid-Atlantic, we created these hubs where patients could come or be brought by ambulance that had the emergency trained physicians and nurses, but had the technology to link in with the hospital so patients actually could get into the catheterization and treatment center faster from the hub, and from the own hospital E.D., figuring out how to create that transportation system and connecting it with technology. I get asked a lot about technology. The number one underutilized technology in the United States today in medicine is video. Fewer than 1% of patients have access to video care. It allows you to bring expertise in. It allows you to have a single individual with the highest skill provide care in multiple locations. And why don't we use it more? Because you know, can't get paid for it if you're just doing it on a regular basis. Medicare is thinking about covering it, particularly for the rural areas. I believe that 30% of what we do today could be done with video technology. And I believe we could then have a logical... Hospital system, mm-hmm. probably by the way, Joyce, half the number of hospitals with care that's 20 to thirty percent better and with costs that's thirty to forty percent lower, but getting there, telling a community or hospital is not going to no longer be a hospital. it will be an emergency facility but not a hospital. Telling the local politicians, the local newspaper that the hospital board that you sit on, this is going to be very, very politically problematic. But you know, Joyce, again, you're the business person. What do we call that? Disruption.
1: Disruption.
2: Disruption is always difficult and painful. You think Kodak was happy to ha- see its film industry go away for Do You think Borders was happy to see Amazon? If they could have stopped it, they would. But, but the reason that it exists today is it provides better
1: things that people want. None of
2: us would give up.
1: And we'll be back with Dr. Pearl and some closing thoughts.
0: For more information on today's topic, visit reimagineamerica.org. Reimagineamerica.org. Now, back to Reimagine America on 8:60 a.m. The Answer.
1: And we're back for just a couple minutes to thank Dr. Pearl for his time and his wisdom. And as usual, I had more questions. <laughs> I, I had, have to come back, Joyce. <laughs> I, I think you have to come back. I want you to come back and talk about your idea about the Veterans Administration because it made sense to me. And it, it's funny because I've long advocated that they ought to put it out to the management of the VA health care system out to all of the big capitated models in the country and see whether, you know, a public-private partnership might, might work. Uh, you have a different view, and I would love to have another conversation. And let's kick that one around, especially now that there is a new secretary. And also, well, the the thing it, I wanted it, to
2: without a question, we we have to provide great care for our veterans. They absolutely their lives for our country, and um, we need a system that is excellent. Parts of the VA today are world world class. We just figure out how to have the entire system match the best excellence that's there. For your listeners, as I say, if they want to go to my website, robertpearlmd.com, they can sign up for my monthly musings. They can see old Forbes articles on this topic and see my thoughts on the upcoming podcast and how we're going to fix the nation, both, as you say, in the commercial sphere, in the governmental sphere, and now you're raising a third part in the VA sphere. There are parts that overlap. There are parts that are different. This is... Uh, Almost 20% of our GDP. This is a big issue and a topic I'm sure we can continue to talk about for months and years to come.
1: I will look forward to our next conversation. In the meantime...
2: Thank you you so much for having me today.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure. Have a wonderful Sunday. You too. It's always a thrill to have Dr. Pearl um, because he is... um, one, he's a very straight shooter, and two, it is incredibly uh, important to uh, talk about a more positive future to to give you as the listener um, benchmarks that you should be looking for in your own care. We have a lot of options uh, here in metropolitan Bay Area, uh, but are they all efficient? And To look forward to next week, Uh, it's hard in this political climate to look forward a whole week and be able to predict, but I thought it might be time to have a conversation, a look back and a look forward and a moment of caution about trade and tariffs and the history of the United States in that area. Um, And as always, I know what interests me. But, you know, I'm always interested in knowing what interests you. So if you have questions or topics or things you want to talk about on on Sunday mornings, send me an email at Joyce at reimagineamerica.org. And I do try to respond to as many of those comments as possible. Uh, In addition, you can find me at reimagine-america on Facebook or Joyce Cordy or the reimagine-america radio hour on Twitter. Uh, And the podcast of this program will be posted uh, by the end of business on Monday. And as always, I have to remind you that we're here. Reimagine. We are independent and nonprofit, very nonprofit. If you appreciate an independent, results-oriented, post-political voice, please consider making a small donation at reimagineamerica.org. And until next Sunday, have a wonderful day and a wonderful week.
0: This has been Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. Go to reimagineamerica.org. Join the forum, donate, tell others, and sign up to receive future podcasts. That's reimagineamerica.org. Together, we can reimagine America. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.